Good afternoon. This is Dr. Daniel Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. We're talking about membrane biochemistry. This is lecture number 45. And oh, yes, today is the last day of August 2022. So I'll remind you that natural killer cells are innate lymphocytes. And I've told you now that they are important for immune surveillance and ultimately for the elimination of stress-transformed, or even virus-infected cells. <clears throat> I also told you that natural killer cell activation and cytokine secretion are separable, and they are controlled epigenetically. And now I'm going to give you the details of that. The control is over a Jumanji-type histone 3 lysine 27 demethylase. And indeed, the regulation over that demethylase, which is an epigenetic phenomenon, probably regulates cytokine production specifically in human natural killer cell subsets. So a paper published in Journal of Biological Chemistry back in 2018, which we've been referring to in the past in this arc of lectures, the demethylase inhibitor is just simply known as GSKJ4. And again, it inhibits demethylation of the histone 3 lysine 27 residue. So this inhibitor increases global levels of repressive H3K27ME methylone. Therefore, it blocks transcription start sites for all the effector cytokine genes that are downstream from that location. So the demethylase inhibitor specifically also, to give a detail, reduces interferon gamma, tumor necrosis factor alpha, and the GMCSF, the granulocyte macrophage colony stimulating factor, but also interleukin-10. All of those normally being generated in cytokine-stimulated NK cells. So all of that's uh, clear. Now I'm going to tell you the cytotoxic killing activity of the natural killer cells against cancer cells is preserved even when you inhibit the production of the chromophobin So I told you those two phenomena are separable for NK cells. The NK cells are going to still act as cytotoxic killing cells, but they're not going to generate chromophobin cytokines when you give them an inhibitor of that particular methylation pattern on lysine 27 histone 3 okay so the anti-inflammatory effect of this inhibitor gskj4 in the natural killer cell subsets isolated the peripheral blood coupled with an inhibitory effect on the formation of bone resorbing osteoclasts now what that suggests is that histone deamethylase inhibition has rather broad utility for modulating the immune versus the inflammatory responses. So overall, from this paper, we can say that histone methylation is a potent epigenetic modification during natural killer cell activation. And the demethylase enzyme which is called JMJD3UTX-driven, H3K27, is indeed critical for natural killer cell function.
Okay, so you've got an epigenetic signature there. Now, natural killer cells all express a 140 kilodalton isoform of the neural cell adhesion protein isoform known as CD56. While lacking the cell surface CD3. So natural killer cells are grouped into three subsets based upon the expression of that CD56 and indeed CD57. And that's known as the marker of replicative senescence and terminal differentiation when you describe CD57 in CD8 positive T lymphocytes. Those are going to be cytotoxic T cells, right? So CD56 bright, CD57 minus natural killer cells will express high levels of interferon gamma. And those same cells also will exert minimal cytotoxic effector function. However, now CD56 dim. CD57 positive natural killer cells will alternatively express low interferon gamma levels, but provide a very high level of cytotoxicity. So CD56 dim CD57 minus cells, that's the third phenotype we're talking about here, are going to be intermediate in the population. So they're going to express moderate levels of interferon gamma, and they're going to exert a temperate cytotoxic effective function. All right. Now, upon stimulation of natural killer cells, they're going to be cytotoxic, obviously, and they're going to kill the target cell. And there's going to be two major mechanisms for that. So one pathway involves target cell lysis. It's going to be mediated by cytotoxic molecules. And those are going to include perforin and granzymes. So that's why we call, call this a degranulation mechanism of these natural killer cells. Because those are going to be stored, those proteins are going to be stored in secretory endosome lysosomes. The other pathway for killing target cells, for NKs, involves the engagement of death receptors with their ligands. For example, FASL or TRAIL. And that will result in caspase-dependent apoptosis of the target cell. Thus, natural killers are poised to release cytokines and growth factors. And so that means they can initiate an inflammatory response as well. And that's going to be mediating both the innate and the adaptive immune response to the to the appearance of the target cells. Now, here's an interesting case to consider. Women tend to have higher overall natural killer cell populations. And that might be related to their recorded lower incidence of high mortality cancer and infectious diseases during the aging periods. So, two caveats to this, though, very important that we've already expressed. I'm putting them, giving you now the dialectical accounting of them. Caveat one in a recent study involving lung adenocarcinoma, 
male versus female tumor microenvironment studies shows <clears throat> highest correlation to diminished tumor growth from elevated mature memory B cells in women. And there was no difference in natural killer cells. Now, this paper was published in a journal called Biological Sex Differentiation, and that was published in 2021. Caveat one, then. So B cells seem more prominent in a study looking at lung adenocarcinoma. Caveat two, totally different system now. In cortical spinal motor neurodegenerative amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or ALS disease, who's Gou Gehrig's disease, women actually may suffer more because of higher natural killer cell populations. And that was uh, published in the Journal of Clinical Investigations, Insight. And that was also a 2021 paper. So you have two different caveats related to that a paradigm that natural killer cell populations tend to be higher in women and you get a decrease in mortality of cancer. Here I told you that in the lung adenocarcinoma, they found no differences in natural killer cells. This is one paper, but it was a paper specifically looking at biological sex differentiation in disease. They didn't find much difference between the killer cells, but they did find a difference with B cells. And there was more mature memory B cells in women. Uh, and that was associated with a decrease in lung adenocarcinoma grading. Okay? The other one had to do with ALS and neurodegenerative disease. And there we already knew that that's a pro-inflammatory disease. And in fact, higher levels of NK cells in women means that they suffer more from ALS. Okay. So, I'm going to tell you a paper that was published in uh, 2019, Frontiers in Immunology. Here we're talking about endometrial cancer. Now, endometrial cancer is the most common cancer of the female genetic tract. Survival is about 70% for five years. So not the greatest. Endometrial cancer incidence tends to towards increasing as risk, fact, risk factors are both obesity and aging. Also, exogenous estrogen exposure seems to contribute in some way to the incidence of endometrial cancer. These are obviously women that are postmenopausal that are on estrogen supplementation. Now, some details. Some histological studies. First group that was looked at in this paper is composed of <clears throat> endometrioid adenocarcinoma while the second group involved carcinosarcoma, clear cell carcinoma, and serous adenocarcinoma. The type one endometrial cancers are actually subdivided following three gradations, which are associated with the differentiation status of the cells, as usual, ranging from the most differentiated to the least differentiated which are associated respectively with a good to bad prognosis. The type two endometrial cancers that we just talked about, the carcinosarcomas, are usually associated with a poor survival in type one. And that's also 
well-established in the literature. So endometrial cancers are separate, endometrial cancers separated and classified according also to tumor localization. So you have to look at the extent of the tumor, the invasion of the lymph nodes, and the spreading of distant sites. That's known as TNM. And when you get a score for TNM, treatment is defined. So what about T cells? The presence of CD8 positive T cells inside an endometrial tumor represents a marker for patient survival. Similarly, in another study, it was demonstrated that intraepithelial CD103 positive, CD8 positive tumor infiltrating T cells expressed the program death inhibitor 1. They were antigen activated and were associated also with improved survival. Okay. Now, continuing, <clears throat> there is a polymerase epsilon mutated profile in endometrial cancer. And it's correlated with best survival and it's associated with a high CD8 positive T cell infiltration, which is Co coherent with what we just said, PD-1 expression on tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, also coherent with what we just said. But finally, also, CD4 positive T cell responses. So what this overall illustrates is the significance of tumor infiltrating leukocytes in the pathophysiology of endometrial cancer. And so those tumor infiltrating leukocytes, including these lymphocytes we just covered here, <clears throat> the CD8 positive, for example, the NKs and the CD4s, those could collectively be called TILs, right? Tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. Okay. Now, the natural killer cells, as we've been saying, are cytotoxic innate lymphoid cells, and they are a major anti-tumoral effector cell type along with CD8-positive T-cells and the gamma-delta-T lineage of CD8-positive T-cells, which we talked about in the past, all in endometrial cancer. So natural killer cell activation and cytotoxicity relies, as we've been saying, on a balance between the inhibitory and the activating signaling. For instance, class 1 human leukocyte antigens Immunoglobulin-like transcripts, TIGIT, which is T-cell immunoreceptor with Ig and the ITIM domain, okay, that's it for short, plus inhibitory cytokines like TGF-beta, IL-6, and IL-32A, will provide inhibitory signals for natural killer cell function and activation. But on the contrary, Various activating receptor engagements, such as those of DNAM1, these are normally the ones that are suppressors, right? The KIRs, the NKPAD, the NKG2D, and the NCRs, along with activating cytokines like IL-15, 18, and 12, all lead to, as you might guess, the activation antikill is normally suppressed, right? So the activating receptors are triggered by stress-induced self-molecules. Those are, of course, called DAMPs. And also they can be triggered by 
and interestingly, viral components like viral nucleic acid. Now in cancers, natural killer cells are efficient during the elimination phase because they control tumor growth. However, natural killer cell function is often altered during tumor immune evasion, and that allows sometimes tumor growth tissue invasion. So in this study we've been talking about here, they looked at endometrial tumors, tumor-adjacent healthy tissue, and blood from matching patients, compared it to healthy donor blood to perform a series of comparative analyses on NK cells, okay? But the first thing they found was that there were very few natural killer cells in the tumor infiltrate, and also that the amount of CD56 bright NK cells were indeed increasing the tumor. Now, see, that's similar to that paper published a few years back. They also found that tumor-resident natural killer cells, and these are going to be expressing the CD103 protein on the surface of the membrane, well, they exhibited more co-inhibitory molecules, such as those T-cell immunoreceptors with Ig, ITIM domain. Remember, those are called TIGETs. And the T-cell immunoglobulin and mucin domain containing three, that was called TIM3. And those are compared to the non-resident, non-tumor resident natural killer cells. Now, in a look at 15, which of course is a pro-cytotoxic cytokine, was reduced. However, in a look at 6, an inhibitor of the STAT5 pathway and of overall natural killer cell function was actually increased in the tumor. So what can we say from those data? We could say perhaps tumor-resident natural killer cells lost their cytotoxic function. So they tested the cytolytic effector production by these natural killer cells. And what they found was that they were reduced in the tumor, which confirms those functional assays I've just now mentioned to you. They also demonstrated that the endometrial cancer tumor microenvironment greatly influences the resident natural killer cell activation as it can reduce their cytotoxic capacity and therefore what will happen? It will promote tumor progression. So the end of this paper, we could say that they did indeed compare the phenotype of natural killer cells in the tumor. And they found that the tumor resident, again, these are CD103 positive NK cells, exhibited more co-inhibitory molecules, such as that TIGET and TIM3, as compared to a recruited CD103 minus NK cell that would be coming, that would be coming outside of the tumor. And that the expression of those molecules, the inhibitory molecules, increase with the severity of the endometrial cancer. And what they show is that both chemokines CXCL12 and CCL27 and IP10, as well as cytokines, interleukin 1 beta, interleukin 6, were also all altered in their level of expression in the tumor microenvironment. And we know that means they might reduce their presence 
means they're going to reduce natural killer cell function and even recruitment to a tumor site, even of the nation NK cells. So what they suggest is that the tumor microenvironment reduces resident natural killer cell cytotoxicity. And they confirm this by measuring cytotoxic effector production and that process of degranulation, where degranulation involves the production of perforin and granzyme, right? So overall, what this paper says is that the tumor microenvironment actually retailers or remodels the natural killer cell phenotype to promote tumor progression. So now you see that natural killer cells, which we understand a lot about now, we understand about the expression of the surface proteins on the membrane. We understand how they are carried through circulation as suppressed cells so they're not activated erroneously and therefore cause a cytolytic or pro-inflammatory response. But when they do meet up with certain tumor environments, those natural killer cells are taken up, but then they're rendered inactive by maintaining their suppression, by enhancing the production of cytokines and chemokines and other inhibitory proteins that not only block pro-inflammatory responses, but also block cytolytic responses. So you have natural killer cells in the infiltrate of the tumor, but they're made rendered, that is, totally dysfunctional. And that's a very important issue that I want you to understand about this. Because sex hormone receptors are located on T cells, and B cells, and of course, a whole host of other innate immune cells. And we mentioned this in the past, monocytes, macrophages, mast cells, and even dendritic cells. So that means that sex hormones, steroid hormones, can control all of those immune cells in terms of their activation, production of pro-inflammatory cytokines, and their trafficking. Now, natural killer cells are no exception. They express an estrogen receptor alpha and to some extent estrogen receptor beta. So indeed they respond to estrogen via the alpha mediated pathway. Okay. So monocytes, macrophages, and mast cells also have both nuclear and membrane-associated estrogen receptors and androgen receptors, so both male and female sex, uh, steroid sex hormone receptors. Those are the monocytes, macrophages, and mast cells. Now, these monocyte macrophages act, of course, as uh, professional APCs, as antigen-presenting cells, and particularly at, potenti- at potentiating sites where there is high levels of foreign antigen entry to the host. This is going to occur in places like the gut, the vasculature, and the skin. So estrogen has a well-known ability to increase antibody responses to vaccines, infections, and even autoantigens. And we know that estrogen works through 
the activation of B cells to cause these responses because you're increasing antibody, right? Now, we also have in the literature, same detail, but the reverse for androgens. Androgens decrease the antibody responses to vaccines, infections, and autoantigens because they deactivate B cells. Okay, so there's a clear sex differentiation between male and female. Female activate B cells um, via estrogen. Male inactivate B cells via androgens such as testosterone. Now, there's a caveat, just like I was telling you before about the endometrial study. Depending on the context, estrogen can either promote inflammation by enhancing a Th1 and or Th17 response, and this is via a transcriptional activation of kappa B, which itself is a transcriptional uh, uh, factor, or by increasing the regulatory arm of the adaptive immune response, in general, by promoting tolerogenic dendritic cells and anti-inflammatory regulatory Th2 type immune responses. And finally, Tregs and those M2 regulatory non-inflammatory macrophage cell populations. So estrogen and progesterone enhance Treg activation. However, Treg predominantly express the estrogen receptor beta rather than the alpha. And the alpha has the nuclear rather than the cell surface localization. Okay. So you get an idea now of all the specific complexity of the regulation from steroid hormones that are speciated between male and female, estrogen versus the androgens, including testosterone. And how those two uh, classes of steroid binding to the receptor, either on the surface of immune cells or internal to the immune cells in association with activation of kinases, will regulate either pro or anti-inflammatory responses from a whole host of innate and, and acquired immune cells, including the macrophages and the innate and the dendritic cells also in that group, as well as the T and B cells and the acquired immune response. Okay. So now you know a lot more detail than that. So let me check my time here. Yeah, we've still got a couple of minutes. A paper published way back in 2008 in obesity. It's very interesting. It told me that the systemic loss of estradiol which occurs during menopause, is directly associated with increased adiposity. And the adiposity can actually be prevented with E2, that is estradiol replacement. Now, rodent studies suggested this, that this estradiol or lack of it is therefore a key modulator of menopause-related metabolic changes, including increases in body mass, and then finally adiposity. So estradiol treatment produces a rapid dose-dependent activation 
of AMP-activated protein kinase. Now, this was first described way back in 2008, and there's a paper published in the journal Obesity, in murine skeletal muscle. Now, jump up to 2018, we know that humans display sex differences in skeletal muscle metabolism. We've been describing this for some time, right? And this could be due, of course, to genetic, innate immune, stress, environmental, or hormonal influences. In fact, elevated 17 estradiol in women is believed to promote the induction of genes regulating lipid metabolism and mitochondrial function. So that means women have a greater proportion of type 1 muscle fibers, and they're higher in intramuscular lipid stores, and they, have, they express greater transcript levels of genes associated with fatty acid metabolism, including CD36, which is associated with fatty acid binding protein or intake of fatty acids. That's also as FABP, hormone-sensitive lipase, currency pump transferase, and enzymes involved in fatty acid metabolism. Hydroxyacyl-CoA dehydrogenase, or the HAD enzyme, and indeed citrate synthase. And indeed, a short supplementation of 17 estradiol in men increases peroxidoproliferator proliferator activator receptor coactivator 1 and the expression of proteins involved in beta-oxidation of fatty acids. I'm going to leave you with that interesting uh, comparison, and we'll get up to it next time when we do another lecture. Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry, saying bye for now on the 31st of August, 2022.